My name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hey you, welcome to episode 203 of Legally Clueless. Thank you so much for rocking with this podcast. First and foremost, before I get any further, I just want to say thank you to everybody who has shown me love and connected with the previous episode, the fear episode. I have never experienced, I've never experienced that amount of love from different countries, from of course Kenya, South Africa, Rwanda, and it really just speaks to why it's okay for us to be vulnerable because most of us are going through similar challenges and things in life. So I really did appreciate all the grace <laughs> and love that was sent my way. I haven't responded to all the DMs, but I will soon just because this week was a bit hectic. But I saw them. I appreciate you. And I love having you as part of this family. Okay, if you are absolutely new to this podcast, make sure you're here. Well, wherever it is that you stream this every Monday. Audio episodes go out every Monday. We have three seasons of our video series out. You can watch those on legallycluelessafrica.com. We have our tour series out, our calendar of events, and this week I'm going to be making an announcement of our first group therapy event. It's going to be one that you definitely don't want to miss out on if you're in Nairobi, and it's going to be facilitated by my therapist. Please just ignore the birds. <laughs> But I love them. I wake up and go to sleep to the sound of birds. It's amazing. Anyway, so a lot of times when I do episodes, I will get messages of, please refer me to a therapist, etc., etc. So I teamed up with my therapist to do a series of group therapy sessions this year for you. So follow Legally Clueless Africa on Instagram. Follow me on Instagram. I'm at Adelo Nyango. And this week, be on the lookout for the announcement of our first group therapy session and the theme and where you can get tickets, where it's going to be and when. I really hope to see you there. I want this space to be a space where, amongst many things, we can intentionally heal together. Okay, I am so excited for the story you're going to hear in this episode because it's a story I recorded in Nanuki and it's the story that got me to go to Nanuki. Listen to this. My birthing setup was a mattress with uh, the sheets on it. I had uh, a bunch of stuff for cleaning up the baby. So like a uh, soft, nice towel, uh, some cotton wool just for anything. I had put a pair of scissors. I had spirit set up, water. It was actually on the gas stove. And that was why I said I had some music going. And just the minute I lay down, I felt like... I feel like a little water came out there. Like, did I pee myself? That's what I even initially thought. Did I pee myself? So she came and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Then the excitement died down and I was like, oh, placenta. So I woke up the next morning. I realized, oh my gosh, I'm still attached to the baby. So quickly took my phone and I googled stuck placenta. Honestly, let me tell you, Adele, giving birth is has to be for me, one of the best experiences of my life. That is Nasieku, and her story is coming up a little later in this episode. I'm very excited for you to hear it. I, I found it to be quite a powerful episode, and I'll tell you how this story is what got me to Nanuki. But before I tell you about the trip there, the song of the week, I'm actually quite shocked I've never shared this song because I'm such a fan of this lady's music. I think 
She is powerful, her voice, she does the scoring, she plays a couple of instruments. I just find her so amazing. Her name is Laura Mvula. Ugh. And I have seen her live in concert, which is just out of this world. I saw her at the end of 2017, December 31st, 2017 at Afropunk in Johannesburg. And she's a fantastic performer. So the name of the song is Still Waiting. I really love it. I think the lyrics are quite, it's like sweet and sour as well. It's a bit of a love song. Anyway, listen to it. Let me know what you think. I have put a link to it in the show notes. If you're listening on a platform without show notes, just go to wherever you stream your music and search Still Waiting by Laura Vula. Okay, on to my trip. Hey, I took on my fear and I took on my anxiety and I went to Nanyuki. I drove solo and probably my longest solo drive so far. I hope I'll crash that record. And do a solo drive to a further location. But let me tell you, anxiety is something else. The night before my trip, anxiety had me obsessing over worst case scenarios. And one that kept replaying was, what if a truck hit me and I died? If you have anxiety, you know, when you tell these thoughts to somebody who doesn't have anxiety, they'll be like, what have you jumped so far? But for you in your head at that moment, this seems so true, so likely, and a good enough reason to cancel your plans. And so the morning I was leaving, I left two hours later than I planned because of anxiety. I was just trying to get to a point where I was calm enough to drive. And normally I can control my thoughts, but I don't know. That day I just couldn't control them as well as I usually can. So when I finally calmed down, I started my trip. And I remember telling myself that while I had the longest list of everything that could go wrong, I should make a list of what could go terribly right and even beautiful things that I spotted on the drive that I love. And that really helped because I found myself like, you know, getting caught up uh, with the views, the greenery, the interesting curio shops on the way, the little towns and just like paying attention to things there. I ended up really enjoying the drive actually and it felt so good when I finally got to Nanyuki. I mean, I was tired. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's my bed. But it was it was great. My friend Melissa hosted me. I also got to record her story, which is powerful. It'll be coming up soon um, in future episodes. And it was really wonderful. I met so many wonderful African women who just validated the space I'm at right now. I'm expanding my business. I started this business alone. It's a road I've never been on or been on any close to it. So kind of meeting women who have started things from the ground up or moved to completely new cities, which is also now what I've done. It just felt so validating and affirming and their stories. Ooh, their stories are it. I also really identified with the creative energy in Nanyuki. It is amazing. I went to a place called Downtown. Oh my goodness. It's like a creative hub. These like restaurants, kind of like street kitchen style restaurants. There's a tattoo artist who is closed, unfortunately, because you know I would have gotten a tattoo. (laughs) And then there are two people who, well, I'm just going to call them friends because I completely love their energy. One of them, I recorded her story. Her name is Madoni and the other is an artist called Makbul. Let me tell you, they are based in downtown. They have their workshop there. They make the most amazing art. They bring back to life 
old gadgets, if I could call it that, like an old record player, old TVs. They make the most amazing furniture. In fact, I decided because my bedroom bathroom does that make sense you get what i mean the bathroom in my bedroom when i was renovating the house i didn't like the mirror that was there so i was like remove it remove this mirror and i didn't think about not having a mirror in that bathroom so they're gonna do the mirror for me because i just vibed with them and their creations are amazing i also went to a place called the croft it's like different street food kitchen vendors there's like a cocktail birth pop-up as well they have all of these games you can play like jenga xnos like huge versions of the game anyway it was really dope i ate from a restaurant called chilling grill while i was there and met the owner john he is a chef at the army barracks i think the british army barracks but he has three kitchens across nanuki and i just had a blast and the night sky ooh, is something else very close to the night sky where i am like if it's a clear night the sky just looks so beautiful but the sky in nanuki the stars looked like little diamonds on a black carpet it was beautiful nanuki has some of the best views of mount kenya where I can't imagine seeing that every day and just like that being regular. <laughs> it was so beautiful, my goodness. So I recorded the stories. It was amazing. I love that part of my job. It's my favorite bit of my job, like legit. I love recording African stories. Like it expands me. I learn so much that I didn't know. I extend grace to others in the process and then to myself. Like, I just love the process. I love it, love it, love it. So once I was done, the drive back. <laughs> so of course my anxiety is trying to peak. But guess what? I found the strength in or the value in sharing your challenges with people who are close to you. Because I shared on my trip going with someone very dear and close to me that I <laughs> was just losing the battle with anxiety. And on my trip back, they stayed on phone with me the entire drive. Yeah, we spoke for four hours straight. Fuck, even the drive back felt like it was like an hour long. <laughs> and I got to enjoy it. So it helps to share about your struggles. It does. I always tell you that I struggle with that bit, like asking for help. But I saw the value. The value in just like letting people be there for you. So that was really good. So I did it. I did Nanuki. And I'm trying to figure out what my next solo drive will be. I'm really leaning towards Meru because I've always loved Meru. I've been there three times. Why not? <laughs> but I am open to other ideas. So if you've done drives across Kenya to different cities or counties and you think, hey, we need to go there and record stories, drop me a message on Instagram at Legally Clueless Africa. Hopefully the place is not too far. Another bird. Okay. <laughs> but today like two buds were inside the house i just let them do their things they really love my front room where all my plants are yeah so i just let them do do their thing that was a random sidebar can we please get back to this 
episode. So I'm really excited to share the first story from Nanuki, Nasieku's story. She's the reason I even decided to go to Nanuki because she signed up to share her story and said she could even travel to Nairobi to share it. And, you know, we're based in Nairobi. I thought, well, how's about I go to her? And then the thought was born. I was like, if I go the whole way there, might as well record other people. And I asked, I was like, do you know how the Africans in Nanuki we could record? And she did refer a couple of other amazing people. And yeah, so I find her story to be very dear because it was the birthplace to this solo trip. So Nasieku's story is about two hospital births and one unassisted home birth. A hundred African stories on Legally Clueless. Stories from Africa. My name is Nasieku Leshimpiro. I am from Kenya. I consider myself from all around Kenya because I was born in Nairobi. But both my mom and dad were police officers, so we moved quite a bit. We've lived in Garissa, I've lived in Kiambu and Narumoro, I've lived in Maralal, which was an amazing, amazing opportunity for me to really meet all kinds of Kenyans, people from diverse backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds as well. So I am Kenyan through and through. (laughs) Nasieku means the hasty one, the one who came quickly, basically, but also the hasty one. So my dad gave me that name because apparently I came sooner than they expected me to come and even since I was a child I've always been very quick to do things so yeah so I am a mother of three girls Emma is 14 years old to start off with her uh, pregnancy and the birth I did not feel fully prepared for her pregnancy even because I did not feel like I had the right resources I literally bought books and DVDs. There's one called Pregnancy for Dummies. <laughs> That's what I bought. And I was watching that DVD, like, this is 2008, so I was watching it religiously every day to just see what I was going to encounter in my pregnancy. And it did prepare me in a way, but I was really hoping for more community support because I felt like if I had women around me who would prepare me with the real, like, real manenos of what's coming, you know? Like, Nasieku, be ready because this is going to happen, that's going to happen. And also, not just too scary, just like, mostly you've got this, you can do it, but that did not really happen. So uh, I went to hospital when my labor started. I did not stay home very well. I remember there was a Chelsea match, and I was a Chelsea fan back then, so I was watching the match, and I was in full-blown labor. This was not Braxton Hicks, this was full-blown labor. And I was just like, my ex was like, hey, we have to go to hospital like no Chelsea has to win once Chelsea wins we're going to hospital so they did win May 1st I remember and we went into hospital and I was left by myself at hospital because you know how it is mostly in hospitals in Kenya especially some hospitals not all of them but some hospitals you're not allowed to have someone with you when you're laboring or in the delivery room so I was left by myself thankfully I had a doctor who had been seeing an OBGYN that I'd been seeing who was going to be present for the birth but he was only going to come when I went into the delivery room. That gave me comfort because I knew I had someone there that I could look up, you know, like rely on, see that he's going to safely bring my baby into the world. So when I was in the delivery room and my OBGYN was there, he was walking me through it and it was, it felt good. But then I, I, I remember not feeling very in tune with myself in that moment. I was very detached from the whole experience because I felt like I did not really know what to do. I did not trust my body to know what to do. I was trusting my doctor to tell me what to do. And I was literally clutching his hand so much. He had to constantly tell me he cannot hold my hand because he had to do other things. And he could not come by my side because he had to do other things. I gave birth to Emma. Luckily, nothing went wrong. I gave birth to her. 
And the heartbreaking moment came right after because once I gave birth to Emma, the midwife who was taking her, was helping me, took Emma and showed her to me when she was, I want to say maybe, I don't know, three, four feet away from me. She showed her to me and said, here she is, she's okay. And then they started cleaning her up and doing the tests that they do. And then they just took Emma out of the room. And I looked at my doctor and I was like, what's going on? They're like, oh, they're just taking her to the nursery. Everything is okay, though. And then I was I quickly was rushed to deliver the placenta. I remember my doctor was even pushing down on my stomach, so that, on my, you know, my womb area so that this, the placenta can come out. And then, you know, everyone left. And I was just put in a wheelchair and put taken back to my bed. And no one was telling me anything at this point. My doctor was like, oh, I have to rush and go to another appointment I have. And I was just left there. I don't have my baby but I've delivered and no one is telling me anything. So I sat on the bed for quite a while. I kept you know, flagging the nurses as they passed by and said, can I see my baby now? What's going on? And they'd say, oh, she's okay. She's still at the nursery. We're going to bring her. Six hours later, literally six hours later, is when they brought Emma. And I was like, what's wrong? Why did you stay with her for so long? They're like, no, it's just standard procedure. But the, less, the, the other ladies in the room had their babies, so I did not understand why that happened. Uh, and then my doctor came later on that day, and then he told me that Emma had her, one of her legs was not stepping. You know, when they do the test, they also do the leg test. So one of her legs was not stepping, so uh, they would have to put a brace on her leg. And at that point, I was so frustrated about the whole thing, so I just said, no, that's not going to happen. My baby's going to be okay. And I tried to lift her up and make sure she can step, and she did not. <laughs> she just kept, and I was just called, God, no. And I was like, no, she's going to be okay. Luckily, she is fine. Nothing happened with her leg. She did not need a brace, and she's fine. So that was my first birthing experience and it was already so traumatic now when I was giving birth to my second born her name is June she's 12 when I was giving birth to June this was even worse because the thing is being now a second time mom you know what to expect it's not like the first time when you're just like oh well this is happening let's do this no the second time I was very aware of the progression of labor and everything that was going to come so I was anticipating things to happen so uh, I went into labor and when I, I realized it was super active labor and my contractions were coming in closer and closer that's when I went to hospital we were living in Arusha Tanzania at this point and thank God because you know there they're very polite and they're very good people Tanzanians are very warm and kind so you know I was feeling safe in good hands but the thing now that now is the downside for me is during labor I am I am very like composed. I don't scream, I don't yell. I, I'm usually just someone who unless I'm super excited, but if it's pain, I like to keep myself together. So I was walking up and down the corridors and the midwives they just kept passing me. And I remember feeling like now this labor has gone on too long. And now I feel like I'm closer to pushing because I knew how to time myself and everything. And I would tell the midwives every time they passed me, hey, can you please go and examine me because I feel like, you know, I'm dilating very quickly. And she'd be like, ah, ukosawa, you know, you look like you're fine. You're fine. You're not screaming, so you should be fine. And I'm like, no, no, I, I'm really, she's like, no. And she would just leave me. So that happened like three or four times. Then I was like, no, I'm going to have this baby in the hallway. So this is not going to happen. So when this midwife was passing me, I literally grabbed her hand and I said, you're going to go check me out. Let's go exam to the examination room. And she went 
she took me to the examination room and she was like, oh my gosh, you're fully dilated. And I said, yeah. She's like, why are you not like causing more alarm? I said, I cannot do that because I need to reserve my strength for pushing the baby out. So she was kind though. So she, she, she took me into the delivery room. And I remember at that point, she was literally putting her gloves on and tying her apron. And I said, I want to push I'm lying on my side at this point, and I'm like, I'm going to push. And she's like, aha, mama, it's, you're not there yet, quite yet, so you're fine. I'm like, no, I'm going to push. She's like, okay, then push, let's see. She's standing away from me, and she said, push. And I was on my side, and I started pushing. And she realized what was happening, because she saw the baby crowning. So she literally, <laughs> like, put, like, she came to where I am, and she took my legs and put me on my back, and was like, okay, now we're going to do this. And because of that whole rush, and now me, I'm, I'm, I'm being induced at this point. That's another thing that happened with both Emma and June's pregnancy. It was the induction, which is so painful. So she, I'm shocked. The baby is crowding. She's saying she's looking like she's a little worried about it. So in the process, and just the panic, I was not pushing properly, and she was not giving the right instructions. So June got stuck. And so this other midwife, because there were two other midwives on the other side, one of them had to come and help her, and they literally came and they were trying to pull the baby out with their hands. And I remember that point, I say, the, the best way to describe it is I felt like a cow. <laughs> I literally, because I've seen the videos of how they try to help animals, and that's how I felt. I felt like they really were treating me like an animal because they were trying to pull her out of me. And it was so traumatic that I was able to push the baby out. I really appreciated the midwives there because uh, once they separated me and uh, June, they took her and cleaned her up. They did the test real quick, but then they gave me June before I even left the ward. Like they literally gave her to me when I was still on the bed. I, I was able to bond with the baby a little bit, say hi to her. And then they brought the, they took June, brought the wheelchair and someone helped me carry the baby and took me to the ward, which to me, that was like really a heartwarming moment. But then after that second birth and everything that I saw, I said, that's it. I'm never going to do this again in a hospital. And I said, if I am blessed enough to have another baby, I'm going to do a home birth. That's all I said. I'm going to do a home birth. I'm going to figure out how and I'm not changing my mind. That's it. So last year, 2022, I was blessed enough to get pregnant again. So when I got pregnant... I knew in my mind exactly what I was going to do. Immediately I knew. I was like, this is it. I'm going to give birth. But then I was like, I don't know any midwives. Because I was not just going to go around and look for a midwife. Because I, I just, I, I did not feel like I would find the right person. I was so traumatized with how I had been treated before that I even felt like if I found a midwife, maybe they would still rush me during the process and it would make the process so bad. So when a new key and I've just found out that I'm going to do this by myself. So I'm like, okay. So no, no offense to the, the, the hospital, the medical system and everything. But I, during my whole childhood, I spent so much time in and out of hospitals. I was sickly so much. So I, I have a phobia of hospitals. I have a phobia of doctors. So I even decided with my pregnancy that I was not going to go for prenatal care. I did not do any of that. I was just eating really, really well. I put myself into complete hermit mode. I went into hermit mode where no one would see me. No one knew where I was, especially towards the last like four months of my pregnancy. No one knew where I was. No one knew what I was doing. Most people did not even know I was pregnant at that point because my pregnancy did not start showing until seven months. So I went into completely hermit mode. And during my hermit mode, I was on YouTube, morning till evening, studying, 
everything there is to know about unassisted home births. Because at this point I was like, okay, no midwife for me, no doula, I'm going to do this. So I became a student of unassisted home births, what to expect, what to do, listening to stories of other women who'd done it. And I'd say to myself, hey, listen, there are women who literally they get their husbands to drive them or get a cab to drive them, and while on the way to the hospital, they have the baby, or women in emergency situations. So I was like, they, they do this, so I'm pretty sure I can do it too, but let me study so that I know what to expect because I'm going to be by myself throughout this whole process. So the very best thing, first of all, for me was the fact that I had I was already second time mom. <laughs> this was my third time to become a mom now. So the fact that I had already gone through two pregnancies had prepared me in more ways than one on how to prepare myself, especially when it comes to the diet, like how to eat iron-rich food. So having a lot of like leafy greens and nice grains, like making sure that my food is rich in uh, items that are going to help me with blood. Because the other thing is, my HP was low on both pregnancies. It was low always. So I knew that I had a big risk of not even being able to push the baby out because of not being strong enough, not having enough iron, rather, in my blood. So I ate a lot of iron-rich food. That's first of all. I made sure I was very hydrated at all points. I was also doing a lot of exercises, like stretching. But most importantly, above all else, I was making sure that I am in a very good place mentally. Because I knew it was all, it was a, 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 a mind game for me. It's like if I knew that if I doubted my ability to do this, even without proper planning or execution, if I just doubted that I could do it, then I would not do it. So every day it was waking up every morning and choosing to stay on that path, choosing to not bring in fear into my life, just always focusing on the fact that it's going to work out. You're going to do this. Your ancestors did this. Your great, 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 great grandmother did this. And you're going to do this. Other than the diet, making sure I was eating well and drinking well, I was also just playing a mind game with myself every day where if a bad thought came in, I would substitute it with a good thought. If uh, I saw a scary story, because I was looking at all kinds of stories, the good ones and the bad ones, just to prepare myself, I would look at a bad story and then look at a good good story quickly just to balance it out. So that's the thing that I was doing to really prepare myself. And then initially, I wanted to have a lot of birth. So a lotus birth is where you give birth to the baby and you then deliver the placenta. The baby stays attached to the placenta and you treat the placenta with uh, dried herbs and salts, like pink salt, and you keep it airy and then it falls off by itself as long as you keep treating the placenta. So that's what I wanted to do. So I was reading a lot of stories on how to have a lotus birth, uh, you know, what to prepare for. So I, I had all the herbs set up and I had everything prepared for the day just so, you know, I, I could do this. I felt like it's such a, a great experience to do it that way because I always remember thinking, where are they taking my placenta every time that I'd given birth? I was like, where are they taking my placenta? Like, I don't know what's happening to it. It just came from me and it's very important because it has a lot of that information needed by the baby. So that kind of information about how the placenta is important to the baby is not readily available to people, to pregnant women. Usually you just know that you're giving birth. Because we see in movies, we see everywhere. You give birth, then the scissors come out and chop. You chop the baby. You, you know, you don't chop God. You don't chop the baby. You, you cut the umbilical cord and the baby starts the life, her life. But 
or his life, but nothing is really told to your city about the placenta and how important it is. You really have to have an interest and dig up this information for yourself. And unfortunately, also, it's not every day, unless you go looking for them, it's not every day you can happen upon a midwife to share this kind of information with you. So those are the, the kind of things that I'd been preparing myself for and with, even uh, after giving birth to June, my second born. Because even before, it, it was a period of, what, 12 years between June and now Luna. But during that time, on and off, I was always, like, I followed, I follow so many Instagram accounts, that doula account, midwife account, just to read all these uh, stories of women and how they gave birth and the importance of this and that, and things that I was not aware of during my other pregnancies. To me, like, it was very important for me to know where my placenta will be and how it looks like, even how it looks like after I gave birth. So I was reading about Lotus Path and really preparing myself. So yes, I did a lot of research, on, especially on YouTube, on those Instagram accounts that I follow. Uh, I was reading articles on home births. I have friends, a lot of friends who are journalists and documentary producers who would send me all kinds of articles and just cheering me on, on to do it. So yeah, that's I, I did quite a bit of education on it. I, I would love to learn more and I'm still learning more but it's quite fascinating just how life grows and how it's also brought to the world it's quite fascinating honestly at that time I like I, I went into complete and it was not the best thing but I went into complete isolation I did not want I did not want to be deterred from what I had planned on doing I knew that if I told people what my vision was first of all that's it's to a lot of people it's ridiculous it's what are you talking about that's why we have hospitals Nasieku. the few people i told us that's exactly what they told me you have to go to hospital there's no way you're gonna give birth by yourself and i'm like yeah i was joking of course i'm gonna go to hospital what what yeah you know because people will always just like they will project their fears onto you that's what they'll do they project fears onto you so i literally went into isolation a self-imposed isolation i remember from december 29 20 21. I went into isolation. People would call me, some people would come to the gates where I was living and knock and I would not open. Like I would be like, I'm not home. Just because I wanted to just truly be in the moment entirely and completely. So I did not talk to anyone about it. I did not have a support system per se. I was my own support system. It wasn't ideal. It wasn't. But I really preferred doing it that way because I felt like it kept me focused on what I wanted to do. So the thing is, at seven months, I went for an ultrasound because I wasn't going for my clinic. So I needed to know that the baby was positioned correctly and that she was okay. There was nothing wrong with her. So I went for an ultrasound. That's when I even found out what the due date was going to be. I had no clue. I knew she was going to come in May, but I just did not know when. So when I went for the ultrasound, that's when the technician told me, oh yeah, the baby's due date, expected date of delivery is May 11th. And I was like, oh, perfect. My birthday is May 16th. So we're going to be close. From there, I did not go to see any other doctor, nothing. So May 11th came. May 11th came and I remember anticipating that whole day. I was just like, okay, I knew I was going to give birth. I'd set it up. I had everything that I needed with me. Mine was very basic, right? Uh, my, my birthing setup was a mattress with uh, the sheets on it. I had uh, a bunch of stuff for cleaning up the baby. So like a soft, nice towel, uh, some cotton wool just for anything. Now to the kitchen area, I had put a pair of scissors. I had a spirit set up and water just close there to the, it was actually on the gas stove just so I can quickly 
switch it on when I wanted. And that was why I said I have some music going and then I was ready for it. The lights were low because the other thing I did not appreciate was it's bright lights. Oh my good, can you imagine coming from the womb? It's so dark and then come out into the world and as much as I don't see at that point, the light, even when you have your eyes closed, that, those hospital lights are bright. So it was dark, curtains were drawn, like I was very, you know, a candle was going, just like really to welcome the baby so that when the baby comes, they will feel like, oh, this is a nice homely environment. So that was my setup. Very minimalistic, but very nice. And I was not going to do a water bath or any of that because that would be taking you too far. So just nice little mattress on the floor. That's it. And then I had a table close by just when it needed to clutch on something. But then May 11th came and nothing happened. So usually I know that it's you have two weeks before, two weeks after. So May 11th came morning to evening to nighttime nothing happened and i was like oh well but i'd had braxton hicks but my braxton hicks had started like on may 10th something like that so they were coming and going but it was not active labor so i was like oh well we will wait and see so that day came and went the next day came and went and i was just like what's going on and I remember the next day was May 13th and it was going to be the night of the total lunar eclipse. And I was like, wouldn't it so be so perfect if Luna, I knew her name, I'd picked out her name years ago. I was like, it would be so perfect if Luna came on the night of the, you know, total lunar eclipse. That would be awesome. So May 13th came and I was seated. My girls were at school, boarding school, so I was home all by myself. So I remember it was about 6 p.m. I made myself a cup of tea, sat down, I had my YouTube going, just final videos to prepare myself. And then I lay down because I was feeling tired. I lay down and just the minute I lay down, I felt like, ooh, I feel like a little water came out there. Like, did I pee myself? That's what I even initially thought. Did I pee myself? Because I wasn't really thinking the baby was going to come at that point. Then I stood up to rush the bathroom and when I stood up, my water broke. And I was like, oh my goodness. Now, this is why it was such a monumental moment for me. For both Emma and June's births, my water never broke. My progression of labor with them was very differently. The doctors had to break my water in the hospital. So I just stood up and my water broke and I was like, this is actually happening. So I went and cleaned up and then I came and sat down and now I was in active labor. So I just knew how this, these things were going to happen now. So I knew, like, you know, you measure your, 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 your contractions and see how quickly they're coming. And then I was waiting for the mucus plug. So the mucus plug usually comes out, and that, that's when you know you, you are ready. Your cervix is now ready. So I remember the last time I went to the bathroom during my labor. I went to the bathroom, and I saw the mucus plug came out, and I knew that now it was ready. From the end, I labored pretty quickly, which was something also very awesome. It was like... Six hours at most. It was super quick. So I came out of the bathroom. I remember the mucus plug came, labored a little bit, maybe let's say another 30 minutes. And then I felt, oh my goodness, I'm going to push now. So I was walking up and down the house this whole time just because, I mean, the pain. Oh my gosh, the pain. So I, was, I had forgotten. 12 years of nothing. 12 years of not remembering, like, labor. What, what's that? Pushing, what's that? And now here I am. And I was just like, oh my goodness. I went to the living room where I'd set up. And I was like, I'm going to push. So I remember I, I, I got on my knees and there was the table in front of me. So I put the table out. This is the mattress. The table is right here. So I was right at the edge of the mattress so I could clutch onto the table. So I 
put my my elbows on the table and I I, I put my hands together because I needed to just clutch something real. It, it, the table was not doing it for me. So it, was like, it has to be me to me because you know I feel like maybe there's something special about someone else's touch at that point because you feel like you need a, a touch of reality because for me it always felt like it was an out of body thing or experience. So I was putting bringing myself back to earth by really clutching both my hands in that praying position and I just kept crying. God help me because you know at that point now yeah you're like you have put yourself in this situation madam <laughs> this is it you said you're gonna do it and you know that the voice now of fear comes up a lot at that point it's like are you really gonna do this you know the baby got stuck last time you got stuck with june what about this one what about this so i just kept saying oh god help me god help me and i kept saying my ancestors i know you're here you're going to see me through this so I've got this. I kept talking to myself like just a crazy person. And then, you know, I just felt an urge. That, that urge now came, the full one. And I knew this was it, to push. And I knew, now you push. And I did a first big push. Then my strength just, it was gone. And I was like, oh, no. And I felt for the baby, and I felt like she's crowning, but then she's there. That's the reason they were inducing me before. They kept telling me in hospital that I did not have enough contractions to push. That's why they had to induce me. So I was like, what to do now? So I was like, Nasiku, the next one, you push like your life depends on it. So the next wave came, and I pushed. Once I pushed, the next wave came immediately. Like it was just coming, because the, the, the second wave came, and I pushed, the head come, came out, and I felt that's the head. Then the, the next one came, and you know that that third wave, let me call it a third wave, that's the powerful one, because that's the shoulder part. But then I knew, oh, this, this is the part where the baby turns. Mm -hmm. So let me give it all I've got, because once they, that, that sh those shoulders come out, that's it. Mm -hmm. I'm home free. The baby's out. I'm good. So Adele, I gave it a push. Eh? Like, I just went like, I was like, I don't care about tearing. I don't care about any of that. Let's just get the baby out of here. Mm -hmm. And I pushed for my life. And literally, I went to catch the baby, I remember, and she literally bounced onto the mattress because I was just like, oh my gosh, she's here. It happened. Here was my Luna, May 13th. It happened. I just kept telling myself, oh my gosh, I did it. I did it. I did it. I could not believe it. I kept saying, I did it. I did it. So I picked up the baby, put her on my, on my bosom. I just cleaned her up and I could not believe it. I just kept looking at her like, did I really do this? Did I just, and she started crying. The beauty of it is just like the minute she came out, once I picked her up like this, she started crying immediately. Yeah. And I was like, she's fine. All toes, all fingers, she's good. She, you know, she opened her eyes immediately. I was like, oh my gosh, she's here. She can't even see me. Of course she couldn't, but I was just like hyping myself up. She's like, she sees. And it was Absolutely, I couldn't be. Let me just honestly, I couldn't believe it. I knew I was telling myself all that, and I knew that I could do it. But you know, you do something, and then you're like, oh yeah, you could actually do it. So she came, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Then the excitement died down, and I was like, oh placenta, yes, we are doing a lot of But remember, back to the program, Nasiku. So I started feeling the contractions coming. So I'm trying to push, but then it's really not happening. Like mm, that nothing. Like I could feel, you know, because when you push and you're pushing it out, you can feel like something is coming out of you, but nothing was happening. Then I remember, oh. Dr. One would, you know, push down on my stomach. So let me do that. So I'm pushing. I'm like, ah. Now at this point, I know I'm forcing things because this is not happening. I'm just like, ah. I'm pushing my, down on my stomach and really nothing is happening. So I was like, oh, well, don't worry about it. Maybe it's just you, um, you're tired. So I'm having this self-talk just to make myself feel encouraged. I'm like, oh, you're tired. Don't worry about it. Just sleep it off and 
sleep a little bit and then you might have contractions later. I don't know what my thought process is at that point because contractions don't, you don't have contractions all through. You've already had the baby, but I was just so tired at that point and I was so glad the baby was okay and I was okay that I was just like, okay, I'm just going to rest a little bit and then we'll figure out this placenta thing. Maybe it'll come out. I actually thought maybe when I sleep and relax, that relaxation of being in sleep will somehow make the placenta come out. So I slept. I took the baby with me. We are attached this whole time, right? So I, I've cleaned her up. I have wrapped her up nicely. I went to bed and I put her on my breast so she can start suckling. And I, we both fell asleep. I fell asleep because I was so exhausted. So I fell asleep. Woke up the next morning because I gave birth to her way past, uh, right before midnight. So I woke up the next morning. I realized, oh my gosh, I'm still attached to the baby. So quickly, I took my phone and I googled stuck placenta. That's what I go because I knew this is a stack placenta. There's no two ways about it. Still, I googled stack placenta, and I found out that that's called a retained placenta when your placenta is stuck and doesn't come out, and you have to go to hospital <laughs> and get it pulled out of you. And I was like, oh hell no, no. I was like, I was so scared at that point because I was like, if I go to hospital, I am going to be yelled at mm -hmm. i don't even know what's gonna happen because they might even involve the authorities at, the point, at this point saying that i'm putting myself in danger and the child in danger so i was really freaking out but i was just like calm down let's figure out what you're going to do so i was like two options go to hospital or figure it out yourself so i decided to check for myself what was going on down there so i i found out that the placenta had come out a little bit of it not all of it but it was quite a bit of a chunk so i was like so it's coming out. It's just like some, somewhere there. I'm going to pull the placenta out of me. That's what I just say to myself. Let me pull this placenta out of me. It's going to come out. So I literally just I just forgot a very important point. So I realized, when I realized it was a retained placenta, I went and I sterilized the pairs of scissors that I had left in the kitchen countertop. I sterilized it. I came with it. I'm holding the baby this yeah. whole time. I'm attached. So one hand... I'm, turning on the gas, putting the scissors, putting the spirit, sterilized it, kabisa, made sure it was okay, came out with it, came to the living room. I checked, I was just like, well, I, I know where to cut because I looked up how I just cut the umbilical cord and the baby was okay. I, made she, I saw she was okay. It was not bleeding because then it was, uh, I, during my research, was saying that if there's excessive bleeding, once you cut the umbilical cord, then that's a problem. You need to go to hospital. Nothing happened. I cut it, just a little blood came out, but then it was fine. So then that's when I realized I have to deal with this placenta issue. So I, when I checked and I realized it was coming out a bit of it, I just decided to pull it. And I pulled it. I just did one tug. And I wasn't doing it so much because then I did not... I was like, if I do, if I do a very big tug and then maybe some of it gets left in then. But then I gave it that tug and it all just came out. And I was like, oh my goodness, here it is. The placenta is out of me. The baby is okay. No hospital. Thank God. So... I was feeling a bit like, oh, oh, just a little like, oh man, that lotus bath is not going to happen. But on the other hand, I was like, oh, this could have been way worse. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that, you know, the baby is okay. Placenta is out, no hospital for me. So I just now kept treating the baby so because now it was the, about the, making sure that the baby's umbilical cord area is dry and it doesn't get any kind of infection. For that, I used turmeric. So I was just like, this is going to be my go-to ointment or, because I remember I used spirit for both Emma and June because that's what they tell you in hospital. But I was just, when I researched on turmeric, I saw that, that it would be the best antiseptic. So I used it on Luna morning and evening 
and literally three days later, three days, that was shorter than both Emma and June's stamped, umbilical cord stamped falling out. Three days later, her umbilical cord stamped, fell out. And I was like, oh my goodness, thank God, because that is a God thing. And now, of course, from there, two weeks after that, I took her to hospital, because then, of course, my mom found out. Because <laughs> she called me on the day after I'd given birth, and I told her, and she came so quickly, and she was like, you have to take the baby to hospital. And I was like, yeah, of course, I was going to take her to hospital after that to get checked, because you just have to. I'm not a medical professional, so I'm not going to trust myself entirely. So uh, in two weeks' time, she came, and me and her went, and we took the baby, we took Luna to hospital, and the first thing the nurses said was, show me her umbilical cord. That's the first thing they said. And they looked at it, and I remember... They saw the the yellow because you know how turmeric stains, and they were, they were like, "What's this?" And I was like, "Turmeric. Why are you using turmeric on the baby?" And I was like, "Well, it's an antiseptic. Are you a doctor? We are the doctors, not turmeric. Use spirit." And I was like, "In that two weeks, she was checked. Everything was good, especially the umbilical cord, because that's what they were very worried about. And there was no infection. It was good. Uh, she got her shots and everything. And from there, she's now eight months old. And I am so grateful." So, so grateful that it happened exactly that way and that very grateful also that she's healthy and I'm healthy. My biggest takeaway from that whole experience was we are powerful as women. Our power really, we cannot even measure it. It's immeasurable. We do not even know the full magnitude of what our strength is as women. And I hear so many, all of us really, not me only, all of us hear so many horror stories about births. There's a, a lady in the U.S. called April who just died the other day during labor as well, just because of negligence from hospital staff as well. My own experience from the hospital staff just made me so scared of a hospital scene because I always felt like something might go wrong. And if it did go wrong, I felt like I would not have that 50, even 50 chance to come out of it okay. I always felt like I was going to either die or be in a very bad situation after that. So, the, and the fact that we are raised in a society where you come into the world and things are already set out, set out for you. You already, and as women, we, we, so many things are dictated to us. This is exactly what you do. This is how you do it. Even with childbirth, we are not taught to honor our bodies by trusting our bodies to know exactly what to do. Because even that question you asked me before, what I did to prepare myself, was to have a lot of belief in my own body, to listen to my body and know that it knows what it needs and it can communicate to me in one way or the other. I just need to know how it's talking to me. And to also know that that being that I was bringing into this reality also comes equipped and prepared with what they need during that process to come into the world safely. It was my thought process during the whole time. So putting that belief in myself, belief in my body, belief in that being, and knowing that if I focused on the positive, that things are going to work out, that that's most likely what I was going to bring into my life. Now, I am very, very aware, and I do not take it for granted, that childbirth really is 
a matter of life and death for most women. For most women, it's a matter of life and death. And not necessarily because they don't believe in their bodies or trust their bodies. It's just because you really don't know what you're going to get when you're in that process. You never know what might happen with a baby. You, and some people, unfortunately, some kids come with some problems and all of that. And you have to put all of those things into consideration. But in my opinion, in my thought processes, when I do things, I do it with me in mind at that position, that point. You know, it's a case-by-case scenario. So in my case, I look at myself and say, okay, so what do you think is going to happen for this? Can you visualize it? Because if you visualize it, you're most likely going to bring it into your reality. So I did not want to have any kind of negative thoughts really infiltrate the positive thoughts in my side, so in my heart. So that's why I'm glad that it happened the way it happened. And that I'm here and I can, you know, talk about it. Because when you, you read all these grim statistics on mortality rates, not only in Kenya, in Africa, all, all through Africa, and then you think, man, like way before all of this, we, we are here because our mothers are here and our grandmothers are here. And before all of this was brought into, all this fear was instilled in us on not understanding that as a woman you can do. Uh, a, a natural process like childbirth and becoming successful. What did our four, four mothers and all, all these wonderful, strong women do? What about the women who find themselves in cabs? What do they do? They just, at that point, believe in themselves and believe that, you know, they're going to do it and they do it. So I'm glad I was able to also honor my ancestors in, in that way because that was also a big part for me. I'm like, I'm from a lineage of a certain kind of people. I'm Samburu, I'm half Samburu, half Meru. So especially I look at the Samburu people, and Samburu and Meru are also very similar. I'm like, I'm from a lineage of people who are a certain way. And unfortunately, I don't even know what that certain way is because that information is not available, even from my own parents, from my uh, grandparents or anything like that. So I just have to trust that those indicators in my body, to me, those indicators of you've got this, you're strong. To me, it was my ancestors communicating to me and saying, we did this. You can do this. So I wanted to do it also to honor them and honor the way of life of the, the Alkebulan people before. You, and when we read our history and every, the real history of who we are as a people and as a continent is even medicine came from here. So if we were that, we are, not were, it's are, because we've just maybe forgotten, but we're coming back to realizing we, we, who we are. So if we, if we are those strong people, those people who... Uh, know what to do, when to do it, would look at the moon and the sun and know the seasons and know what to do, then let me bring that awareness back into myself and then birth a new way for my lineage because I, I did this also so that my girls can see that if mom did this, they don't have to do it. And trust me, my girls, they're like, mom, that's you. They, want, they literally call me from school the next day and they're like, mom, what happened? And they did not tell them. They somehow knew. The next day, May 14, they called me both. And they were like, Mom, is the baby still here? Because they knew she had not come on May 11. And I was like, yeah. They were like, you did not go to hospital. I was like, no. They are like, wow, Mom, like, that's just you. So, But I was doing it to also show them that if they chose later on in life to go down that kind of path, of course, with a midwife or a doula available, then they can do it, that they do not need to rely on what's already dictated to them, that they can know their other options. And I feel like that's what is so important for 
women, all women, to know because you don't not necessarily have to be the one giving birth. Just as a woman to know as our bodies, this is how they function. And you might be with a friend someday hanging out and then whoo, she goes into labor and you guys maybe are somewhere where you can get to a hospital. What would you do in that situation to help your friend? You know, I feel like it's just information that as women we need to have in our, at our fingertips because you never know when it's going to come in handy and who it's going to help. Well, the very first thing I would tell women, pregnant women especially, is community. Mm-hmm. Community is super, super important during that period. And I'm saying that from a lack of community during that time and me understanding how if I had women around me to really uplift me during that time and you know hold me up, I feel like the experience would have been even that more enriched, you know, because it's very important during that time to feel like you're not alone because a lot of times when you're pregnant, you really feel like you're alone. You don't feel like people understand everything that's going on with you because now you're accommodating another being in your whole system. They're pushing things around and moving things around and you, you sometimes don't even understand your own emotions and your own body and what it's doing. So having that community around you is very important. Just other like-minded women who don't even necessarily have to be moms themselves, but people who are going to really have your best interest in mind and at heart at all times. So I feel like community is very important during that period. The other thing I would say is that we just need to know that there is nothing, truly, there's nothing to be afraid of about. There's nothing to be afraid of when you're pregnant and when you're going into that next step of actually being that portal to bring this being into this world. The only reason I'm saying that is regardless of what the outcome is, yeah, you have already been prepared without even your knowledge, you've already been prepared for whatever is to come. So if you just trust that, if you trust in that moment and during that process that you are A, safe, and you need to feel that way too, which is why how, however you decide to bring a, 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 another life into this world is important because you need to feel that safety during that period. But just know, have that assurance in you, inside of yourself. Tell it to yourself, even if sometimes you don't feel like it. Fight that fear. Know that you have everything within you, inside of you. And you have a, what I call a cloud of witnesses who you cannot even see cheering you on and supporting you in ways you do not even know you're being supported. So just know that you you have it. You have everything. You're strong. You can do it. It's been done before, time and time before, and it's, it's being done again, and you are just in line to do it and uh, show others also that they can do it. So do it not only for yourself. Have that assurance not only for yourself, but have it for the generations to come. The young women that you pass by the street who you know or even don't know who might hear your story or who might meet someday as part of your journey and who you can share that with. Just know that you're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it also for other people. But just, yeah, th- that, that strength. We, ha- we have that strength. We are strong. And that assurance, don't let fear talk you out of having the best experience of your life. Because honestly, let me tell you, Adele, giving birth is, has to be, for me, one of the best experiences of my life. There's something very spiritual about that whole process and actually eventually seeing someone you've been 
nurturing inside of you for nine months now come out and you're holding them and then just doing life with them. So I cannot, it gives me so much joy, the fact that, you know, I chose to go down that path of motherhood and I was blessed enough to go down, down that path of motherhood because it's, it's been life-changing for me. It's a wonderful, brilliant experience that should be embraced for, for all. And also just make sure that your birth is a peaceful one. You, you have to be at peace and have joy when you're giving birth. Because those emotions that you're having and you experience when you're pregnant and even when you're giving birth, they transfer very easily to the baby. I mean, you're one with them. You're one with them until they start walking away from you and going to explore. So during this whole time, whatever you feel, they feel. Whatever you go through, they f they're going through too. So have peace in your heart and joy in your heart. And these are things you can cultivate by choosing to have those things in your heart, regardless of your circumstances. And I'm saying this because the, the three uh, pregnancies that I had were not rosy. They're not rosy. They're not pregnancies where all the time I would wake up feeling like, Yoo-hoo, yes, I'm going to be a mom. No, there were very dark days, so, sometimes where I even of self-doubt and wondering if I was even equipped already or that's the path I wanted to take. But bring, always bringing your mind back to the truth because the truth is what we need to focus in on. What is the truth? What is the truth about me? What's the truth about my body? What is the truth about my life? What is the truth about circumstances around me? Not what I see, what I know I cannot see, but it's what is the reality. It's just going to manifest. So when you focus on those things and those truths for you and just want it for yourself so badly, I'm telling you, no, no lies from outside influences, from all these other situations and people and circumstances which do not have your best in mind are going to affect your joy and your peace. Catch more African stories in the next episode of Legally Clueless. As I said earlier, every time I record stories, it just expands me. I begin to really acknowledge something that has become one of my mantras ever many, but that there's more than one way to do this life thing. So, I mean, not taking away from unassisted births that aren't by choice. Of course, that speaks to bigger structural issues in healthcare, which I think Nasieku also spoke to in her hospital experiences. But that being said, I feel like there is something so spiritually strong about Nasieku and her alignment with her body. That's one thing that I connected with. Her conviction and understanding of how powerful her body is and truly embodying self-love by giving this powerful thing that is her body what it needs. And I think that's just so admirable because it's a space that I'm at, not pregnant, not a mom, but I can identify with that bit of after so many years of hating my body, actually sitting in it and being like, where see you're powerful. <laughs> what do you need to run? You need fruits? Do you need veggies? Do you need water? Less red meat? You have it. <laughs> I just really connected with that. And I just found this to be so powerful. And she's such an intentional mom. You can tell. She came for the recording with her daughter, June. And her daughter is just so well-mannered and, and just so has such a nice energy. <laughs> and after the recording, her daughter embraced her and was like, congratulations, mom. And I was walking out, I think, set up my camera or something. But I just turned back and I was like, that is so, so wonderful. Like, so... That's so beautiful, I thought. And I'm, I'm just so happy that she reached out. It's interesting how people you've never met can help push you to a new level of being. 
you know, and I don't think she knew the magnitude of what she was doing by writing in to share her story. So I'm very thankful. And I knew once I start sharing the Nanuki stories, hers has to be first. I knew that before I even recorded it. So if you want to share your story, we have a brand new story seller form because this girl deleted the other one by mistake. <laughs> I was rearranging all our backend admin docs and stuff and... I made that grave mistake, but not to worry. There's a new one out. A link to it is in the show notes. Fill out the form and you never know if you are writing in from outside Nairobi, I could be coming to you. But even regardless of where you are, we do also record stories virtually. So if you're listening from another continent, as long as you're African, you have a story, we want to hear it. We're going to make it work. So sign up and fill out the storyteller form. Remember as well that this podcast plays on trace radio here in kenya so if you go to traceradio.co.ke there's a list of all the frequencies and you can catch us there every monday and wednesday at 1 p.m and 11 p.m and on fridays we're there at 1 p.m i'm just going to give you a bit of a reminder again make sure you check out our instagram page this week if you're interested in being part of the group therapy session that we're going to be doing with my therapist for you we're definitely going to be posting that a little later this week so find us on instagram at legally clueless africa and i'm at adele onyango i'm going to end this episode as usual sending you tons of grace and so much love we're entering a new um month which is my birthday month so sunday is my birthday and i'm just i'm so content i'm so at peace you know other years by now i would have like a list of the gifts i want and what i want people to do for me blah 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 man this year i'm just like way the peace i feel in my heart can the universe's birthday gift to me just be that this peace follows me every day of my life that's all that's all i want that's all i want you know so yeah i'm very excited about that sunday i'm gonna be turning 34 that's that's pretty exciting that's bonus life so i'm grateful make sure you're here for episode 204 it's gonna have a story by someone who developed general anxiety disorder during the pandemic they suffered things like blurred eyesight even at a point had to start wearing specs brain zaps their heart was pulsing and so much more if you truly want to understand anxiety, that's definitely going to be an episode you want to listen to. But until then, I will catch you on the 34 side of life. (laughs) I'm wishing you an amazing week ahead. That's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode.